Grab your Bibles and open them, uh, return with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And um, there was a wedding here last night, which I uh, was privileged to be a part of, but the flowers have upstaged me. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether you understand this, but one of the reasons that I, I started preaching out there is because I was trying to eliminate a barrier between us. I don't know whether it works. I, you know, I, I'm not a psychologist nor the son of one. So I, um, I just don't want to put anything between me and you. But this morning, the flowers have come in between us both. So um, I'll be back here, and it, it, it's far easier on me, um, and you won't have to hear all that rattling of paper that I do every week. So um, all my notes just right here, and I don't have to hold them. <clears throat> so you follow as I begin reading at verse 11, and I'll read through verse 18 of Hebrews. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, <clears throat> before I do, that, that, uh, that opportunity that you saw in the video, um, French Camp, the next Saturday, there's another opportunity, uh, Christmas boxes. We, we buy them and pack them and give them away. Uh, that's a big deal, guys. We give them, the bulk of them, to Innovation Church out in Fraser. Byron Thomas uses them very well. They get, they get really uh, strategically placed. So you might want to think of that as well. It's uh, tis the season, and um, we've, got, we've got enough to give away, don't we? <laughs> don't we? we ever. Now, uh, verse 11, it reads like this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. You, you've heard me um, quote Spurgeon before uh, numerous times, but it was... Charles Spurgeon, who once said that the, that the doctrine of justification by faith, which, which is really the gospel, the doctrine of justification by faith should be preached in every sermon. He had a seminary associated with his church, and he wrote a book called Lectures to My Students. And in that book, he advised his students to preach the doctrine of justification by faith in every sermon. Um, in a dissimilar but related quote, from my buddy Steve Brown. Steve Brown used to say that the Bible doesn't say much, but what it says, it says it often. Now, I, I say both of those things. They don't seem to be connected, but, but they're, they're, um, they're a warning. The, the warning is simply this. 
Um, This section of Hebrews is the wrap-up of a long doctrinal section. And consequently, there's a lot of repetition. For instance, all those issues in verses 11 and 12, we've covered them before in this series of Hebrews. You may remember um, down at the bottom of uh, verse 16, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on there. I covered that thing in uh, in chapter 8. So we've seen a lot of this already. But let me say just a couple of things in defense of the, um, of the author of the book of Hebrews. The first thing is this. Um, he's writing about the atonement. The, the, the very heartbeat of all of Christianity. And he's trying to demonstrate again the superiority of Jesus Christ over the Levitical priesthood sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And he's trying to do that to a group of people who are flagging. That is, they've been persecuted, they're converted Jews in Rome. Rome has begun to persecute them. And so they're thinking, okay, I can get this persecution stopped. I'll just go back to Judaism. And so this author is coming at it, coming at the same thing again and again and again and again and again. Um, he's showing them the superiority of Christ over what they've had in Judaism. It, it's, it's in essence the gospel that's at stake here. Uh, if I could say it a bit differently, I'd say it like this. It's the souls of men that are at stake. And so you can forgive a little bit of his repetition. Actually, let's not call it repetition. Let's call it emphasis. Let's just say that the man is emphatic. And uh, in his desire to be emphatic, he repeats himself. Now, that's one thing I wanted to say in this defense. Here's the second thing. I want to tell you a little story. Um, it's a true story. It's not that dramatic, but I guess it is. Um, it was told to me by a preacher friend of mine. He went to the hospital uh, to visit an, an older woman, in his, a member of his church, who was dying of cancer. And this woman had been in his church for years, a faithful member of the church, you know, uh, she had served in various capacities, she had been the president of the women of the church, and she had taught Sunday school for years, and she was just, you know, a, a, a fixture there at the church. And so he went to the hospital to see her, and as he walked in the room, he said, I could tell she was anxious. And she grabbed my hand, and she said, oh, pastor. I just don't know if I've done enough. You know that's wrong, don't you? If you don't don't see how wrong that is, then we need to talk. Here's a woman who had heard the gospel hundreds of times, and yet she still didn't get it. You know, that makes people like me, we preacher types, it makes us very nervous. Um, It it makes me want to heed the advice of Spurgeon and preach the doctrine of justification by faith in every sermon. Uh, And call it repetitious, if you will. But the uh, the stakes are very high. Now, um, with that said, I I want to show you, uh, just, just rehearse real quickly, 
um, a lot of this ground that we've already covered, uh, and he's already covered. This is, um, these are previous arguments that he is summarizing uh, in this, this final paragraph of his argument. <clears throat> For instance, it couldn't be any clearer what he's doing than what you see in verse 11. I told you he's, he's comparing the superiority of Christ with the inferiority of the Old Testament. Look at, look at verse 11. And every priest. See, they got a bunch of them. But in Christianity, there's only one. Uh, every priest stands. They stand because they've always got work to do. And, and I've told you, I've pointed this out in the past. That there was no chair, no stool, no bench that was included in the temple furniture. They had to stand because their work was never done. As opposed to Christ, we're told in verse 12, he sat down. Because his work is done. It was finished. Um, every priest stands daily. Over and over and over again it went. Sacrifices, repeated. In fact, the word repeatedly is in there. It's, in, it's later in the verse 11. Over and over again. Daily they had to repeat those sacrifices. And by the way, look. Sacrifices. Plural. And then later on, twice it says, verse 12 and verse 14, a single sacrifice. You got sacrifices versus sacrifice. So you see, guys, the point that we're supposed to get is the utter insufficiency and inadequacy of the Old Testament Levitical sacrificial system. You're, You're supposed to see the worthlessness of all human devices to try to appease God over against compared to the single sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You you see, guys, um, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the picture of substitutionary atonement was there. But the substitute himself wasn't. The substitute himself is now here. And that's what the author is trying for. He, he wants his audience to see. It's where he repeats over and over and over again. <clears throat> You've got to see this. Now, guys, that is ground that we have already covered in previous treatments of this book. Which brings us to verse 14, which offers us a bit of new territory. Things that we have not yet taken a look at. So, fix your attention on verse 14. And I have to tell you, I hardly know how to deal with it. Um, it is 16 words. Verse 14. 16 words. And they are packed with theological richness. I mean, um, single offering, perfected for all time, being sanctified. Theological richness in those 16 words. Oh, you preachers, you're all alike. 
especially you, Dr. Young. That's all, that's all you want to do. That's all you want to talk about is doctrine, theology. And very frankly, I don't give a flip. You know, I don't care, I don't care who's right about baptism or the second coming. What I want to know is how am I going to hack it on Monday morning? And by the way, I could use a little bit of inner peace as well. I hear you. And if you'll stay with me, you're going to find a whole lot of that in here, in in verse 14. So fix your attention on verse 14. Notice, by a single offering, a single sacrifice. Um, Now, we've we've already mentioned that, so I'm not going to spend any time on it. A single sacrifice versus many sacrifices daily, uh, repeatedly, versus... A single one. One. Now, through that single sacrifice, somebody, and we're going to look at that in a minute, somebody has, look, look at it. <clears throat> somebody <clears throat> is perfected for all time. Now, now roll that around in your, in your heart and soul just a little bit. Guys, no Old Testament worshiper could ever say that. No Old Testament worshiper could ever say, perfected. Um, no Old Testament husband could ever look at his wife and say, well, honey, <clears throat> I'm going over to the temple today, and I'm going to offer our final sacrifice. (laughs) No more Yom Kippur's for us. Now, he might go over there and take his little lamb with him and stick around while while it's being sacrificed and watch the blood being spilt and and watch the priest do what he does. and, 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 And he might stand there for a couple of few minutes and say, Oh. My sin is forgiven. But by the time he walked home, across town, he's thinking, oh my gosh. I need to give another lamb. And, 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 and this is going to get pretty expensive. And what, what if I die? On the way over, before my, my sacrifice is offered. You see, guys, a Jew could never say, perfected. A Jew could never feel safe. Still can't. Because he could never say, Perfected, And then look what it adds. For all time. <laughs> Perfected. For all time. The efficacy of Christ's atonement is such 
than all of my sin. All of it. All of it is paid for. Accomplished by the single offering. The one sacrifice. Guys, don't expect him to do any more. That is Christ. There's no need to do any more. More cannot be done. Which is really repeated in verse 18, where there's forgiveness of these. There's no longer any offering for sin. Through that single offering, somebody, which we're going to look at in a minute, somebody's been perfected. For all time. So all of my labors, all of my efforts, all of my um, works, whatever they are, they do not put away the guilt of my sin. But his one sacrifice does. Um, the law could never put away sin. It says it in the text. That there's no lamb that could ever produce the perfection that I need. There's no flock of lambs that could produce it. But, of course, the Lamb of God. Guys, look at what it says in verse 14. For by a single offering... He has been perfected. He has perfected, excuse me, he has perfected for all time. By one sacrifice, I am perfected. Now, guys, this is kind of tacky of me, but let me just make this application right here. Do you see how that closes the doors of purgatory? A place that doesn't exist? If I've been perfected, then why do I need to go someplace and get some, a few more burned off? The point is I don't. Um, I've been perfected for all time. Do you see what's being taught, guys? It's a comprehensive forgiveness. Forgiven sin is forgotten sin. I, I, I have been set free. I, I have been liberated. And where there is this forgiveness, there's no longer any offering of sin. There's nothing left. For which God can punish me. It's already been punished. Where? In this single offering. Now, 
for whom? Again, look at the text. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, guys, in the Greek language, that's a, that's a present participle which, which describes a, a progressive, ongoing action. These are the perfected ones who are being sanctified. Now, wait just a minute here, Dr. Young. I, I think at this point, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you've contradicted yourself. Um, I mean, I thought you said perfected, which means done, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But now you're saying being sanctified, which suggests a process, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Okay, then. Which is it? Is it done? Or is it a process? Guys, you need have no confusion at this point. Listen. If you want to know who has been perfected for all time by this single offering... then just look for the people who are presently being sanctified. They're people who are growing in Christ's likeness. They're people whose lives more and more reflect that they belong to Jesus Christ. Their, their decisions are, are, um, are changing their value system, their, their priorities more and more are in line with Christ's instructions. What they used to love, they don't love that anymore because they've got a new set of loves that replace those those old loves, they are being sanctified. Now stay with me. There's two other things that you've got to include with that. <clears throat> First of all, how? How are they being sanctified? Look at the text. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. They are being sanctified by that law that God put in our hearts. God is operating on our hearts. And by the, by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, he is empowering me, us, to live out a life that is consistent with the law that he wrote on my heart. 
That means a couple of things. First of all, it means that Christians aren't perfect. But through that single offering, there has been earned for them a status of perfection. They are eternally set apart. Their status is, is now secured, eternally secured, and in response to that new status, their lives are slowly and progressively being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. If you want to find those who have been perfected forever, just look for the ones who are now being sanctified. One other thing. You notice, guys, that this work is performed on the heart. Gang, do you get that? The the significance is no real change. No real life change is ever made from the outside in. It's always made from the inside out. And one of the things that fundamentalism in the South has done to us is that it gave us a list of rules and it told us to go out there and don't do that. And that didn't work. Because, ladies and gentlemen, change is never wrought from the outside in. It's always, it always takes place from the inside out. Now, do you see that in you? Do, do you see this glorious process of being sanctified in you. Guys, it's going to look different in every Christian. But can you see, can you sense the rumblings and stirrings of God's Spirit in your heart? Do you love His Word? more do you love his people more do you love his law more does your sin grieve you
more. Is obedience your desire? More. Guys, do you see how hopeful this is for us? I'm not asking you, are you perfectly obedient? I'm asking you, do you see in you the desire for obedience growing? Because if you do, then what that means is that you are being sanctified. And what that means is through the single offering of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you have been perfected for all time. I'll say it differently. The ones who are presently being sanctified are the ones who have been perfected for all time by the single offering of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Guys, can you see any of that going on in you? I'm not telling you how much, but can you see your desires and your loves and your priorities? Can you see them changing? What that means is that you are one of those who have been perfected for all time. Did you say you wanted some inner peace? There it is. The law tells me I'm a failure, and I am. The law tells me I am doomed, and I used to be. But the gospel tells me that there is a remedy. And that remedy is in the single offering of Jesus Christ. And to all of us who have embraced him, the gospel whispers this in your ear. Yea, I have loved thee. with an everlasting love. In the language of Hebrews 10, 
Beyond that, I cannot give you any more. Our Father, I do pray that you will thrill your people by the, um, the language of this portion of your word that they might come to see and to enjoy that their status is, um, is fixed for eternity and the evidence that that is true is that they are in the process even now of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, a minute ago that it means that we Christians are not sinless. Boy, is that ever an understatement. We are so inconsistent. And yet, oh God, our hatred of our inconsistencies grows and our love of the gospel increases because you have taken up residence in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit, which means that we are perfected for all time. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name.